Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they are summarized for us in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Now last time we considered what the Bible teaches about the fall of man, and today with God's help, we want to take this one step further. We want to consider one of the consequences of the fall of man, which is original sin. And in this connection, I invite you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, and we begin our scripture reading at verse 12. Hear God's holy word. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So far the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the other day I was at Walmart and I saw a child, probably no more than three years of age, standing with his mother at the checkout. Now, like most stores, Walmart has shelves of candy in the checkout lane. And when the child saw a candy he wanted, he took it off the shelf. His mother told him to put it back, but the child refused. And the mother tried everything in her power to get the child to put the candy back without making a scene. She tried persuasion. She tried threats. She counted to three, but nothing worked. 
Finally, the mother, fed up, grabbed the candy out of the child's hand and put it back on the shelf. Well, when the child realized he was not going to get the candy, he threw a terrible tantrum. He cried and screamed and pleaded with his mother, but his mother would not give in. And this only made the child even more angry. He started to hit her and say that she was bad. And then he grabbed the candy off the shelf the second time and held it tight in his hand. This time the mother had had enough. She grabbed the candy from the child's hand, put it back on the shelf, picked up the child so that he would not take the candy again. And the child screamed and screamed all the way from the cashier to the parking lot. It was quite a scene. And one with which most of us, I'm sure, can identify or have witnessed or even experienced ourselves at one time or another. Now the question is, why was this child like this? Was it bad parenting? Was it a lack of discipline? Did the child simply have a strong will? Well, all of that may be possible. But ultimately, the child behaved the way he did because of something called original sin. We come in our study of the Belgic Confession to Article 15. Last time in Article 14, we considered what the Bible teaches about the fall of man into sin. And we saw that God created man good and in his own image. But man, under the instigation of the devil, rebelled against God, making himself liable to corporal and spiritual death and resulting in the loss of all of his excellent gifts which he had received from God. Well, now in Article 15, our confession goes on to explain another tragic consequence of man's fall, and it is original sin. And it's to this subject that we turn our attention with God's help today. So my theme is man's original sin. And we'll consider, first of all, the source of this sin. Secondly, the seriousness of this sin. And thirdly, the solution to this sin. First then, the source of this sin. So the first question we need to consider is, what exactly is original sin? Well, original sin is not something we do or have done ourselves. This is what we call actual sin. And there are three kinds of actual sins. There are sins of thought. These are things that we think that are not according to God's law. There are sins of word. These are things that we say that are not according to God's law. And there are sins of deed. These are things that we do that are not according to God's law. Well, original sin is Adam's sin of disobedience, which is imputed to us as our own. The doctrine of original sin states that when Adam sinned, we all sinned in him. His sin was our sin. And as a result, we are all born with a sin nature. We are not innocent from birth, but guilty and sinful. And why is that? Well, to answer that question, we need to understand that God created the human race as a unity. And this is one of the things that distinguishes human beings from angels. Angels were created as separate, independent beings. Humans were not. Humans were created an organic unity, meaning they are integrally related to each other. 
And this is what Paul teaches in Acts 17, verse 26. There, speaking to the Athenian philosophers, Paul declares that God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. So all nations are made of one blood. We are all part of the same family, the human race. Now we must also understand that Adam was our covenant, or sometimes called federal, head. In other words, he was our representative. That means if Adam had not sinned against God, we would also not have sinned. We would be enjoying perfect communion and fellowship with God even now. But the fact of the matter is, and as we saw last time, Adam did sin. And as a result, we all sinned in him. Now that's clear from Romans chapter 5 and especially verse 12. And there in that verse, Paul writes, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now Paul here is referring to Adam. He's speaking about Adam's fall in paradise. And he's saying exactly what our confession says, that when Adam sinned, we all, members of the human race, sinned in him. And that is because he was functioning as our representative. When Adam sinned, therefore, we all sinned in him. Now, at first glance, you might think that that's not very fair. I mean, why should Adam's sin have consequences for me and for my children? After all, he was the one who sinned, we say, not me. So why should I have to suffer the consequences for something that he did? But then we need to remember that if God had not dealt with us through representatives, then none of us could be saved. And that's because Christ, as the second Adam, is also our representative. Just as we sinned in Adam, so we are saved by Christ. And that too is what Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 15 and 18. And I quote these words, If through the offense of one that is Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that is Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, that is Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that is Christ, shall many be made righteous. Well, do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying that just as we all sinned in Adam, we are all saved by Christ. Whatever Christ did to save us from our sins, we did in him. And so rather than chafe against this doctrine, we need to rejoice in it. Because God deals with us through representatives, therefore you and I can be saved. And so we see then that original sin has its source in Adam. Because Adam sinned, we all sinned in him. Now needless to say, this is a very 
serious and weighty matter. And that brings us to our second point. The fact that we all sinned in Adam has some very serious consequences. First of all, it means we are partakers of original guilt. Now, original guilt refers to the fact that all of us, by virtue of the fact that we are the descendants of Adam, share personally in the guilt of Adam's transgression. Now, although this term does not appear in our confession, it is nevertheless expressed. Our confession says that original sin is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. And that means that even if we had never committed a single sin, God would be perfectly just to condemn us to hell forever by virtue of the fact that we have a sin nature and that we share in Adam's guilt. Now that all men are guilty before God is clearly what the Scriptures teach. In Ephesians 2 verse 3, Paul says that before our conversion to Christ, we are by nature the children of wrath. Now, if we're children of wrath by nature, then that implies we're all guilty. In Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says that because Adam sinned, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, again, if all have sinned, then all are guilty. In verse 18, he says that by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. If judgment came upon all, then all are guilty. And this explains why God can justly condemn entire nations and even little children of these nations to death, as he did with the Canaanites in the Old Testament, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he can do that and yet be just because they are all guilty of death. Now, some people disagree with this and they say, well, how can God be just and at the same time put what they say innocent little children to death? But the truth is that these children are not innocent. They're just as guilty as their parents by virtue of the fact that they share in Adam's guilt and as such are by nature under the wrath and condemnation of God. Now another serious consequence of original sin is that we become partakers of original pollution. In other words, we inherit from Adam a sin nature, an inward disposition to do that which is evil and contrary to God's law. Now, like the term original guilt, this term original pollution is also not found in our confession. But it is expressed. Our confession says that, and I quote, original sin is a corruption of the whole nature and a hereditary disease wherewith infants themselves are infected even in their mother's womb and which produces in man all sorts of sin being in him as a root thereof. End quote. Well, you notice how original pollution is compared here to a hereditary disease. And it's a disease with which we are afflicted from the moment we are conceived. Some diseases, as we know, are hereditary. They're built into our genes and they're passed down from generation to generation. Well, the same is true of original pollution. It too is passed down from generation to generation. David confesses that. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he writes, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David here is not saying that it was sinful for his mother to have borne him, nor is he saying that he had done something evil by being born. 
Rather, he was saying that from the moment he was conceived in his mother's womb, he had a sin nature, and that he received this from his father and his mother. Now, the comparison is also made here in our confession to a root, later on as a fountain of water. That, too, is very appropriate, isn't it? If you spill some poison next to a tree, the roots of the tree will eventually suck up that poison and spread it through the whole tree. Similarly, if the source of a fountain is polluted, then the fountain will spew forth polluted water. And so it is also spiritually with man. Since man's nature is corrupt, everything he does, everything he says, and everything that he thinks is also corrupt. In fact, his whole inward disposition is to do evil. Now, we have a name for that. We call that total depravity. As a result of original sin, man is totally depraved. Now, that doesn't mean that he's as bad as he can be. For man is not as bad as he can be. By God's common grace, even natural man can do good things and can refrain from certain evil acts. Total depravity simply means that every aspect of man, his will, his affections, his desires, his inclinations, has been tainted with sin. Man, by nature, is rotten to the core. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in Romans 3, verse 10. When quoting the words of Psalm 14, he writes, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Jeremiah echoes this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, verse 19, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. The point is, at his core, man is totally depraved. He's utterly incapable of doing any saving good. Now, in asserting this truth, our confession is militating against two heresies. The first is something called Pelagianism. Pelagius was a British monk who lived during the 5th century AD. And he taught that by nature, man is essentially good. He does not inherit a corrupt nature from Adam. He becomes a sinner by imitation. And then there's another heresy called semi-Pelagianism. And this is a softer version of Pelagianism. And those who hold to this view say that although man's nature was corrupted by the fall, it was not completely corrupted. Man still retains the ability to choose good. He even has a free will. And that's the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And it exists in modified forms in many evangelical churches still today. Now, over and against these two views, our confession says, no, man is not able to choose good. He certainly does not have a free will. That is, he doesn't have the ability to choose to be saved because he's rotten at the very core of his being. He's not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. Well, dear friends, do you see how serious the fall into sin was? It was not just something that affected Adam and Eve. It affected all of us. And as a result of their fall, all of us, including our children, are conceived and born in sin. Therefore, as the Reformed form for baptism puts it, our children are children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. 
Now that's the horrible consequence of the fall. None of us by nature can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is shut to us. We and our children are condemned to die and to suffer everlasting condemnation in hell. But thanks be to God, original sin and its effects can be overcome. There's a solution, and that brings us to our third and final point. We've seen that original sin has some serious consequences. Because of original sin, we have original guilt and original pollution. And as such, we deserve to be condemned to hell. Well, at this point, someone may ask, well, is there no hope for us? Is there any way whereby original sin can be washed away? Well, yes, there is. But how? Well, first, let's be clear how the consequences, that the consequences of original sin cannot be washed away. For example, they cannot be washed away by baptism. That's the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that when a child is baptized, that his or her original sin is washed away. But that is utterly false, and the Scriptures nowhere teach that. Baptism does not wash away our sin. It merely points to our need to have our sins washed away. Well, how then can original sin be washed away? Well, it can't, at least not completely. To be sure, original guilt is washed away the moment the sinner comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment, God no longer holds to our account the guilt of original sin. The payment for our guilt has been paid by Christ, which is exactly why Paul, at the beginning of Romans 8, could declare that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. That means there is no condemnation for our actual sins as well as our original sin. It has been taken away by Christ, but original pollution remains. And this is why even after we have been converted, we still sin. It's because of original pollution. Our confession says that original pollution is like a fountain. Just as a fountain gushes forth water, so our sinful nature keeps gushing forth sin. And we're reminded here that just because our sins are forgiven does not mean that we no longer sin. We do, frequently, and more often than we want. And that causes us to long for the day when we will finally be delivered. And our confession gives expression to that when it says, and I quote, the sense of this corruption makes believers often to sigh, desiring to be delivered from this body of death. Well, isn't that true, child of God? Do you not long for the day when you will be able to worship and serve God in perfection? When you will be free from sin once and for all? The Apostle Paul desired that too. In Romans 7, Paul describes the conflict that rages within the believer between the old man and the new man, or the old nature and the new nature. The new man wants to do that which is pleasing to God. The old man doesn't. The new man wants to walk in the path of righteousness and holiness. The old man in the path of unrighteousness and unholiness. And that creates a tension inside of us. The tension is so great at times that at the end of this chapter, Paul cries out, and this is the cry of every true believer, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, indwelling sin causes the believer to long for the day, to sigh for the day when he will be delivered from his sin once 
and for all. Oh, my friend, can you identify with the Apostle Paul here? If so, I have good news for you, because one day, one day you will be set free. Not in this life, but in the life to come. And then the work of redemption which Christ has accomplished will be brought to its ultimate completion. Then the old man will be eradicated once and for all as well as original pollution and we will live before God without any sin, without even the possibility of sin forever and ever and ever. And this is precisely why Paul at the end of Romans 7 declares in triumph, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For Paul, the greatest comfort in life was knowing that there is victory in Christ. And just as the guilt of original sin has been forgiven at the moment of justification, so the pollution of original sin will be eradicated more and more in sanctification and ultimately and finally in glorification. From this we learn how unfair the charge is, so often leveled against us, that the biblical doctrine of original sin makes men careless and profane. Because it it is said it removes every incentive to living a new and holy life in the sight of God and men. My friends, it doesn't. In fact, it does the exact opposite. For the more a child of God sees his sin, the more he longs to be set free from it and to live his life to the praise and glory of God in every aspect. Well, dear friends, what about you today? Do you desire to be set free from original sin, both its guilt and its pollution? If you don't, there's something wrong with you. You're not converted. You're not born again. And you've never seen your sin. You've never seen the seriousness of it, the gravity of it. And unless you are converted to God, you'll perish in your sins. For when you stand before God on the day of judgment, your original sin and your actual sins will damn you to hell. And there you will remain to all eternity. But I declare to you today that there is a way whereby this sin can be atoned for. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, he is able and also willing to remove the guilt and the pollution of original sin and to present us faultless before the throne of his Father. Oh, since that is so, let me encourage you and invite you, plead with you to believe on his name. For it is by believing on his name that we can be saved. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.freefm.org.
www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Again, our webpage address is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.